Hello and welcome to the Confession Box podcast where we're joined by a familiar friend at this stage, Michael Kelly, who's the editor of the Irish Catholic newspaper. Michael, I think it must be your fourth or fifth time joining us. Yeah, always a pleasure to be in the Confessional Box, Brandon. I imagine at this stage there's a lot of serenity in your life being able to confess so often. Oh, well, it's it's good to, good to kind of get it out there. <laughs> Michael, you're just seen off the plane from Lisbon, Portugal at World Youth Day. Uh, it seems to have been a really successful event. Inspiring, I think, is the, is the, is the word that people have been using. Uh uh, rubber hits the road now that all the young people go back to their parishes around the world. Um, what kind of challenges face young people as they go back to parishes? Yeah, I think you're right. It was a very successful event. I mean, logistically, even speaking, uh, just the ability to feed 1.5 million kids three meals a day, uh, it worked very, very well. So the organizers deserve a lot of credit for that. But Pope Francis is very keen to underline the fact that World Youth Day, we call it that, but it's actually not a day. It has to be a process. It has to be a process around discernment. And it has to be a process that continues when, uh, when the kids go home. So that formation has to continue because otherwise it simply becomes one event. And one of the criticisms some people have of World Youth Day is that it's just like this rock concert. It's just like going to a rock concert, you enjoy the rock concert, but then you go home. But the challenge there is to the older people. And there were lots of older leaders there. There were lots of Irish bishops there, 12 Irish bishops, the biggest delegation of Irish bishops that have ever been at a World Youth Day. So I think they deserve a lot of kudos for that because there was a lot of walking in the heat. There was a lot of leading pilgrimages and a lot pilgrims on long treks for four four and five hours but the big uh, choice facing the bishops now is how do they build on this and I will say they're acutely aware of this uh, not a single bishop I was speaking to on the Sunday night was unaware of that challenge yes they were enlivened and they were overjoyed by the event they enjoyed spending time with the pilgrims and I would say that what was most important for most of the bishops to actually sleep out in the campsite at night with the young pilgrims to hear the concerns of the young pilgrims rather than just see it uh, at this event so I think the huge challenge now is to try to bring these people together in the local parishes to evangelise one another, the, the, the vast majority of young people who weren't there. I suppose talking about young people, a sensitive issue, but a very important issue, I suppose, is the mental health of young people. And of course, in Ireland and everywhere else, it's been an increasing problem. Even in our own country, there's been a 45% rise in young people have, having suicidal ideations between 2020, 2012 and 2019. So it can be said, kind of conversely, that with the pressures, even though we're flourishing society with the pressures of social media and society in general young people are less satisfied than before um did you experience firsthand the toils of youth at world youth day and did they say how the event helped them if they did I mean, my first World Youth Day was 23 years ago. Uh, I was 21. Okay, you can do the math. I'm 44 now. Um, and somebody asked me what was the big difference between World Youth Day in Rome uh, that I was there 23 years ago and this one the huge difference was everywhere you went these teenagers these young people they had phones yeah. they were Instagramming each other they were scanning QR codes that was the really interesting thing because sustainability this was all about sustainability so rather than booklets being handed out everywhere they went there were massive signs with QR codes and you scanned the QR code and that's where you got the booklet that's where you got the translation information so the other side of that is these young people People are exposed to social media in a way that just didn't exist when I was young. And I can say, speaking to the young people on the periphery of it, it really made me feel they experienced challenges and difficulties that, I mean, even though they're only like 
I'm only 20 years older than them that just were, were not part of mm. my generation or at least not consciously part of my generation. Speaking to young people, you know, who have already lost friends to suicide, uh, young people who are acutely aware of the challenge of uh, friends, family members of, of theirs who are self-harming. I would say there was a realization there, not that social media is a bad thing per se, but that it can be a bad thing. And that, I would say that was one of the things that the organizers were trying to emphasize as well, that the call for young people people is to live authentically so live beyond the virtual world the virtual world of course will always be a window in which they see the world but try to build the relationship and I would say that was the abiding thing a lot of them will take away one of the things many of the young Irish pilgrims said to me in the airport uh, coming home was I never knew there were so many Catholics in the world. I didn't know there were this type of Catholics and that type of Catholics. And just one of the one of the really touching things was, uh, and I felt sorry for the group leaders in this, but groups passing each other on the street, people would see different flags. They'd want to sign each other's flag. Where are you from? Where are you from? Oh, let's give me your Instagram. You know, so these these are young people who uh, are pr- presumably going to keep in touch on Instagram. But there's no doubt as well that it was obvious and they expressed to me the challenges of living in that virtual world as well because they don't have any sense of privacy in the way that it would have been every single moment is captured and posted to Instagram. And I mean, I have no photographs from all you Day 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the rallying call is by Pope Francis at this event appeared to be totus, totus, totus. And uh, it's simple in its message, but very difficult to achieve in the church. Uh, realistically, how do you interpret Francis's World Youth Day message? Can young people return home, let's say, to their lapsed friends and say that, oh, you've been invited now to darken the church's doors? Or is it a bit more complicated than that? For sure, you could really tell that when Francis was saying that the church has to find a place for everyone, this totus, 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 that was really resonating with people. People felt that acutely because many of the young people who are there you know, let's be honest, some of their links to the church are tenuous as well. Some of them are not uh, frequent mass goers. Some of them are not people who have been uh, have been brought up in the faith. I mean, it was very interesting to talk to some young men who were on the pilgrimage. Sure, they were baptized, but they were raised as functional atheists. And now they find themselves going to university for the first time actually discovering that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus and that that is something that you can build in your life. And that's something that will bring value and bring meaning to your life. Um, Francis is inclusive message is 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 a difficult one but i think it's a vital one because we don't have the homogenous society, certainly within the church that we had in the past. Belief in God is no longer axiomatic. I mean, it's one option among others. The, the culture I grew up in, I mean, even if people didn't go to church regularly, they they still believed in God. That is that that's not an unchallenged conviction nowadays. And the, these young people are are living that day and daily. And I would say this actually is where uh, older people like me need not to be too arrogant as well, because we can learn so much from those younger people. Sometimes we think in the church we have so much truth and we need just to get out to all of these young people who don't have the truth. Actually, we need to hear the truth of their lives because if we can't respond to what the truth of their lives, what the challenges of their lives and what keeps them away from engaging in their faith life. And actually, I think there's a huge challenge for us here as well because maybe we have to redefine what engaging with your faith life is. Maybe it's not the, the mold that, that we've set or that we've had in this country for a few hundred years. Maybe we need to find fresh expressions of the church for them. Because, Michael, you, uh, you you spoke to me earlier about this. And one of the things you found with some young people was that they weren't really wanting a whole lot from the church. You know, they're, they're, that they're searching for meaning 
and they're at World Youth Day, but actually the answers to are not they're not looking for the answers necessarily in the church. In some ways, that's for sure. Absolutely. What, what, one of the, the things that I found really interesting was a lot of the church's social, social action, which is a necessary part of the gospel. And it's something that uh, we pride ourselves on. And it, it must be an important part of the work of the church. Young people don't really see that as the work of the church. They see it as something quite separate. They see creating an ethical society. They see sustainability. They don't see these things as Christian values. They see these things as wider values. Now, you might say that's a success of the church because we've inculcated those values in society. I would say probably they're not at an age where they're looking for this deep, deep meaning or that they're they're questing after truth. Um, but I think what they are questing after, they're questing after goodness and they're questing after something beautiful. And I think that's what the church can give them. Uh, and I think first and foremost, that has got to be the example of meeting other good young people, having healthy relationships, because again, something that came across was just the, just how unhealthy many relationships are among young people now, because they are mediated by social media and that creates so much toxicity. It creates so much tension. People are looking at the fake lives of others on Instagram and imagining if only I could be more like that person, then I would be happy. So trying, I suppose, to help them find the sense that uh, they can find a place for themselves within society, they can find a place for themselves within the church. But in some ways, that's got to be at their own their own pace. And I think that's something Pope Francis was uh, very keen on emphasizing that you cannot just come and say to people, look, here's the church, here's this huge treasure of truth, come to it and embrace it, and your life will be perfect. You've got to, I mean, to use that cliched phrase, you've got to kind of meet people where they're at. But that's actually really true, because the only place you can you can meet people because they're they're not somewhere else and i think that's where it calls for a lot of creativity from the church to try to get out of itself and you know that image that francis is always using not not of jesus outside the church knocking to get in but inside the church knocking to get out yeah it's a great image um the pope always gives a press conference on the plane on the way back and he, he went into some really interesting stuff um that didn't really get reported very well but he, he was talking about female circumcision he was he was talking of course the issue of abuse came up and he, on the plane with one of the journalists he mentioned you know that he says we in the church talk about zero tolerance and he said pastors have to take responsibility for their irresponsibility uh, and then he then he went on to talk about Portugal because uh, he'd been meeting with victims there and the bishops and and they've had huge problems there around abuse and he said that the news might have been exaggerated and yet the report that came out last February said four thousand eight hundred fifteen boys and girls had probably been abused since nineteen fifty. Um, it's it, it it's hard to see that as an, you know being exaggerated, um, and also. The, the bishops, after that report came out, refused initially to remove some of the priests that were accused. And um, it, it just sounds to me in a way that the, the Pope, the Pope seems to have, I think the Pope has has lowered the bar when it comes to prelates around. Because that question that was asked on the plane was about, was he going to do anything about these bishops? Yeah, I think this is a difficulty with the Pope's kind of freewheeling communication style and all of those issues you're talking about when he talks about, you know, the abuse of migrants, when he talks about female genital mutilation. He brought all of those up in the context of a really, really long answer to a quite a simple question about exactly what you're saying. What are we going to do about prelates in Portugal who were shown to have misgoverned the church on the issue of child abuse? I mean, I was particularly troubled by that line where he said, oh, the news might have exaggerated this. Are you saying, Holy Father, 
that they did have ex- did exaggerate it or they might have exaggerated. Like, what does that mean? And what does that mean if the person who is at the top of the organization still has that kind of implication? Because if he thinks the media are exaggerating these things, then that's entirely unjust. And uh, he should come out and he should denounce the organizations that he thinks are exaggerating it. If not, zero tolerance has got to mean zero tolerance for a lack of responsibility as well. And I think, I mean, I, I thought his answer about abuse was weak. I thought he was still leaning on the learning curve stuff uh, a little bit much. I mean, we've had conversations in this country about a learning curve going back to the mid 1990s, and there might have been some justification for it then. There's certainly no justification for it now. And this thing should not trundle from one country to another. The reason why we have the central administration of the church, the reason why Benedict XVI established the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors was that these things could all come from centrally, that zero tolerance would not be a policy that they have in Ireland, but not in Portugal, that this would be coordinated from the Vatican. So I think that was disappointing. And I think the major unfinished work around child safeguarding in the church, because look, let's face it, everywhere we have a report now into a Catholic church institution or more widely, it's going to expose these kind of abuses. It's going to expose past mismanagement of these cases by the bishops. But the real challenge now, if it's exposing current mismanagement, then heads have just got a role because it's no longer credible to say in every country we're going to have a learning curve. We know the learning around this. We know for it's been for nearly 20 years it's been Vatican yeah. policy but, to insist that the civil authorities are informed. But you have this Pope saying uh, it's a learning curve, curve in his own papacy. He dismissed the allegations being made by Chilean survivors of abuse and then had to backtrack quickly on that. He's appointed uh, the head of the DDF, uh, uh, a man who uh, o- openly admits he made mistakes. He wrote four years ago. He, yeah. Four years ago, wrote to wrote to the abusing priest, basically slagging off the the victims. Oh well, I I have to learn. And the Pope told him, Yeah, well, we're we're all learning. So so the bar I think has been dropped since Benedict's time. And now of course there, there's a, there's some allegations about Benedict's time when he was archbishop in was it Munich? Munich yeah. Um and then you have going back to John Paul II stuff about Marcel Maciel and the legionaries and all that. So it sounds like everyone is tainted in some way uh, but but I just wonder, is it fair to say that that maybe we're going to have to look to the next pontificate to, to really get somebody in that can clean this up properly? Well, look, I mean, I think you're testing the levels of patience there of uh, victims, their advocates, but also Catholics who are clinging on to their faith by their fingernails. I mean, I certainly was brought up, many Catholics of my generation were brought up to spontaneously believe that the church would always act properly, particularly when it would come to issues like this. Uh, I think to uh, be in 2023 and uh, the Pope is still trying to excuse the misgovernance of the church around this issues. And I think... Here, here's a problem. I think you can forgive a bishop for not handling abuse properly. And I think that's a Christian thing to do. But I think you can also say, but also, I'm sorry, Your Excellency, there's no place for you here anymore in the governance of the church. Because we have to show to people that if you misgovern the church, that if you let children down in this way, then you have to take responsibility for that. Uh, you're very welcome to continue your priesthood in a monastery or continue it in some other pastoral setting. But you're, you've shown to have failed in leadership. All of the world, when people fail in leadership, they, 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 they have to go. The Catholic Church shouldn't be the exception to that. In fact, the Catholic Church should be setting the bar higher because we actually don't govern ourselves just by you know corporate rules or uh, or, or conventions. We govern ourselves by the light of the gospel. But so is, we should always set a higher standard. But this is the same Pope who's constantly berating uh, clericalism, and and yet 
and yet the, the the Portuguese bishops, one of them wasn't wasn't there a Portuguese bishop who was made a cardinal in the in the last list yeah. we spoke yeah. about before. Uh, I'm I'm not saying anything against him personally, but he, a Portuguese cardinal, a uh, uh, bishop was made cardinal. Um, he excoriated the the bishops when he went there, apparently behind closed doors, and yet no heads have rolled. And and yet the same pope probably will give a homily tomorrow or ne- or on Sunday, uh, giving out about clericalism in the church. But it's it's it, it kind of smacks of one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. Yeah, look, I think one of the difficulties may be denouncing clericalism, partly because it's it's kind of like the wallpaper. It's just been there for so long. Mm. We're maybe very, very good at seeing it in others and not seeing it in ourselves. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, on that uh, depressing note, <laughs> <laughs> Michael, thanks a million for coming in and sharing all that with us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks.